and a very warm welcome to another edition of Consali Talk. Of course, my name is Charlie Green, and today we have an extremely interesting episode coming up with a well-esteemed serial entrepreneur. If you are only just joining us on Consali Talk, though, the idea is I'll be joined by some of the best consultants from around the globe to discuss various topics about their day-to-day life, from their networking skills to office room conflicts to consultant strategies. All will be discussed here on Consali Talk. On today's episode, though, I am joined by Mohammed Jabib, a German-born entrepreneur who is now based in Dubai, a global leader who has been at the heart of several startups and is now the current CEO of Tradeling. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining me today and coming on Consali Talk. But before we get started on your incredible story, how are you and what does life look like in Dubai currently? Thanks for having me, Charlie. Excited to be here. Well, I'm very well, thank you. Um, life in Dubai is... 30 something degrees, sunshine, um, excited about opening up and really overcoming the, uh, the past 12 months um, as things are clearing out. Uh, so we're very excited to do our business here. Oh, I'm very jealous of that weather. So Mohamed, on your incredible journey, it seems only appropriate to start at the beginning. And was this sort of hunger and willingness to test yourself there from a young age? I think when you are an entrepreneur, when you, when you figure out you become an entrepreneur, this, this is something that you just don't wake up and, and become one, right? This is something that probably has been put into your personality very early on in childhood. Um, so many things in our life is influenced by our childhood. Um, so I remember my, my dad had his own company and, and was working on it. Uh, didn't do very well, but at least it probably, uh, it probably planted it inside of me. The other thing is at a very young age, I started small trading business, right? First of all, I traded used bicycles and then I figured that I can make more money by building bicycles and selling them. And this paid for my time at school and for the, you know, for the computers and the computer games and, 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 and all the equipment that you wanted to have between the age of 12 and 18. Um, and I guess this, uh, this remained like that throughout the university. The university was a very entrepreneurial university, a, a entrepreneurship university. And then uh, we, we had the internet kind of hype starting in 98, 99. And uh, all my colleagues from university started up stuff and I ended up starting up something. <laughs> how, you, how you move into that. So do you think it's almost like it's something that's just built into your DNA rather than developed over time or? Yeah, there are certain, I think there's certain characteristics that you need to have, right? One of them is curiosity. I think this is, this is essential that you need to ask like why and why and why and why until there is no answer anymore. And then you try to solve for the lack of answer, right? Um, and the second thing you need to have is you need to, to somehow have a vision of creating something, whatever it is. It could be a service, could be a product, could be a new way of doing things. Um, and the third thing you need to have is you need to have sales skills. I think this is also essential when you when you want to or when you figure out that you're an entrepreneur, um, you need to somehow sell your vision. You need to sell your product. You need to sell a job to people. So sales skills, I think, is something that is essential. So if you ask about is it built into your DNA, I think these components are built into your DNA. If you don't have the personality um, that sells, uh, it's very difficult to be a successful person without having the right partners around you. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. 
And after your education at Soy, you spent semesters abroad, you then attempted to be an entrepreneur, I think, till the age of around 30, before realising you didn't know enough. Those are your words, not mine. Uh, but looking back at that period of your life, how key were some of those experiences in helping you develop into a successful entrepreneur that you are today? Yeah, first of all, let me, let me start by saying um, I still don't know enough. I, uh, I still am far away from thinking that I know enough. It's, uh, and we're learning literally every day. The business that I'm running right now is something I have never done before, again. Um, and we're learning every day, right? Um, but coming back to your question, I started uh, early on my first real startup, which had external funding, started it early on. And I think the, the things that, that then guided me throughout the rest of my career until today was basically the couple of failures in between, right? Because this is how you learn the most, right? Um, I'll give you an example. My first startup was a B2B um, trading platform, similar to what I'm doing right now, 20 years later. Um, it was a B2B trading platform focusing on reverse auctions for the global plastics industry. Um, now you need to know one thing, the plastics industry is a very concentrated industry. There's maybe for one product like PDC, Mm -hmm. There used to be two or three manufacturers that are relevant, right? And it's even less today. Now, how can you run a reverse option in an industry where, the, first of all, the suppliers are known and the buyers are known. They know each other for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you want to get in between and run reverse auctions to pressure the price. It doesn't work. We figured it out after one year, but it was too late, I think, for the business. And, uh, and then September 11 hit back then, and we, we had to stop this business. But... This helped you understand that even when you're the smartest guy on the planet, we all think that, right? When you're entrepreneurs, you think like you have it, you crack the solution and you want to create it. You figure out very quickly that, you know, business runs differently. It's not a theoretical exercise you do on paper and you plug in some numbers into Microsoft Excel and then it comes up with a result. You're like, hey, let me start a business. Reality is different, right? And this reality check um, early on in my career that, you know, uh, the best business idea might not work if the industry doesn't adopt it. It's very simple, right? And this is something that you, keeps coming back. Um, and at one point, as a young entrepreneur, you face the challenge of managing people. You face the challenge of a business model that doesn't work. You face the challenge of managing a board of directors or investors, shareholders, and you're not experienced in that. So you keep making mistakes along the way. And then at one point, I'm, but still, you're a good salesperson. So at one point, I figured that, you know, no matter how bad I am, I can still sell it. Right? But this was not my aspiration for life. And this is when I decided then to enter consulting and uh, go and join a reputable firm and learn really and have people surrounding me that are much smarter and much more experienced that can teach me things I don't know. So we'll get to McKinsey in a second, but just for our consultants watching today, how important is it to sort of understand and accept failure? Again, this is... This is the baseline of everything, right? There is, you, you know, probably all these memes that float the internet. How many shots Michael Jordan has missed um, before he set the final shot at the final second? You know what I mean? Um, how many times the KFC founders failed? How many times, you know, so many people were rejected and then became the biggest actors on the planet? Um, there's so many stories of failures that turned into success. Why? And the question, this, this is very important. When you're a child, and I have four children, so I've been watching four children take on failures, right? And the youngest now is three. So it's not, it's not very long ago. But the first time they start to walk and they fall down. 
This is what teaches them to fall. The falling down is actually what teaches them to fall. So when they fall down and you come running and you want to lift them up, I get angry. Right? And this happens quite often when you're out shopping and then like someone in a shop sees a kid fall down. They're like, oh, I want to help. Um, this should not be the case because they need to learn how to stand up after they fail. And if you understand this concept and childhood is the purest form of learning, right? the early childhood. When you understand this early form of learning after you fall down and you're a small little bundle of joy, um, then you understand how life is, right? And it's not only consulting, it's not entrepreneurs, it's for everyone. Mm. When you fail, you need to extract the positive side of it you know what to not do again mm -hmm. and if you know what you're not what you're not supposed to do again then you become better um and that's very easy talk right <laughs> because reality is different because you fail the one time and then you learn not to do it but then you fail again and then you learn that you're not supposed to do it the same way but you're still supposed to do it but in the right way <laughs> and uh, you know smart people learn from others and from their own failures um, and I think this is what accelerates your growth at the end of the day. You can still learn from your own failures, but if you combine that with failures by others, um, then it becomes an unbeatable concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, playing golf in the States in America, my coach actually said to me, what he thinks fail stands for is first attempt in learning. But I think, you know, from what you're saying right now, it, it matches up very well. But so after this sort of period where you know, you attempted to be an entrepreneur, you put that on hold and you went into work in management consulting for the established company McKinsey. What was the experience like and what were some of the key benefits you learned during that time? I think the first thing is when you're a young entrepreneur straight out of university and you create your first startups, you go out there and you find venture capitalists that give you millions of dollars or euros or whatever it is, you think you're God's gift to mankind. At one point, um, you really think, you, you're the best guy, right? And uh, you're the best team, whatever it is. Um, and then very often you sit somewhere and people listen to you, right? Because you're this flashy entrepreneur kind of profile and you're good at selling. Um, and then I remember, I literally remember my first day, the, the onboarding day in McKinsey and you're sitting for two days actually in a room with the guys that started alongside of you, right? And there were 12 people, I think, or so around the table. And then all these people come in, consultants, partners, whatever. And I remember I was sitting in this room for two days thinking, oh, damn, they're all smarter than me. How will I survive in this place? Right? <laughs> and uh, now th that's the first feeling that, oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. No, <laughs> this is tough. This is going to be a rough ride. Um, and then you start on your first project and you fail completely, right? And most people fail on their first project because they think they come with something until they notice that they need to de-learn and really accept that they're starting again from scratch because consulting, especially with a certain methodology that a certain firm applies, you need to learn it from scratch, ground up. When you come with the attitude that they hired you because you're experienced and great and blah, 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 and you want to add value from day one, you will learn very quickly that you don't add value by narrating what you've been narrating for the last five years, right? You add value by understanding methodology and by learning continuously on a project and from your colleagues, et cetera. So this was, uh, it was very bumpy in the beginning until I really had to sit myself down and I got very tough feedback from one of my, uh, from one of the, the partners actually there. And it's the first time that I got this stuff feedback. And then I sat down and I was like, hey, <laughs> so I need, 
I need to appreciate that, right? If someone that is this smart tells me that I'm not doing well because I'm too full of myself and my experience in the past as an entrepreneur, I need to probably adjust a little bit. And I managed to do that, thank God. And uh, I had good colleagues also that helped me do that. And then it was just a, a really enjoyable ride. It was really fun. Like I did it uh, for almost seven years and it was really, really great. Yeah. And a key learning experience, key learning curve in helping to become the successful entrepreneur you are today. I think, look, I don't, I'm not saying that you have to be a consultant for a while in order to be successful in life or as, a, as an entrepreneur. But what I'm saying in my specific case, the consultant, joining a firm like McKinsey and being there and climbing within McKinsey helped me a lot learning a couple of things. And I would say number one is dealing with different sorts of personalities and different levels of people in terms of tenure. Um, I think this is something that was super important. The second thing is overall communication and how do you really, how do you really put your thoughts into very, very understandable format, both verbally as well as uh, in writing. And the third thing is, and that's something you learn over time that when you are in a consulting firm like McKinsey, um, the first day scares you. But then over time, there's a saying in German, I don't know if this is a proverb in English as well, but in Germany, we say, you know, they all cook with water. Okay. It's all the same water they, they boil, right? Um, so they might be smart, not smart, whatever it is, but ultimately we're all here for, for, for a simple reason, right? We're all great at something. And, uh, and, but ultimately we cook the meal with the same ingredients, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so you stop being scared and you just accept every situation as a new opportunity to learn. And that's, that's the exciting aspect of it. And then you can apply all these learnings in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. The biggest application actually today is how I deal with different people. Um, and how I try to really help and coach and develop people. I think this is something that a consulting environment really pushes you to, to adapt to. There's constant feedback, there's constant push, there's constant learning. Um, and you're really supposed to develop yourself and accept development by others. Very well said. So I think after this time in McKinsey, your first company after this transition, you started was Suka, which was late to acquire by Amazon. And the question I have for you is in so in past sort of successful projects of yours, like Suka, now currently with Tradling, how do you know when you're onto something that's good? When do you know that you have the right idea? I think, well, I don't want to say this is the wrong question, <laughs> but what I'm saying is the moment you start something or you join something, you are convinced it's the right idea, right? Mm -hmm. And you're so obsessed with it. Otherwise, you don't jump on it. As an entrepreneur, you're always obsessed with whatever you do, right? So what I, what I, the answer to this is probably, you know it's the right idea until you don't. Uh-huh. Right? So, so it hits you. You, it, it, you. At one point, it hits you, oh, damn, this doesn't work. I need to change something, right? And uh, it happened quite a few times. Um, but again, mileage plays a role. So when you have a little bit of mileage, you can assess these things better, right? Yeah. And then what you figure out is that no matter what idea you're working on, if you have the right team and you can take the team to pivot into something else or adapt the business model a little bit with the right people, you can do that. So you, with mileage, you're not afraid anymore to be on the wrong path because you know, whatever happens, you can fix it. Mm -hmm. And then for our viewers, 
uh, who are listening in or watching in right now, can you tell them a little bit about more your recent project with Tradelink? Yeah, so Tradelink is in essence a B2B marketplace um, connecting global sellers with buyers in the Middle East. And it's uh, companies to companies. So you list your products as a supplier, let's say in China, um, and companies you have a certain demand, they can buy it through Tradelink.com. And we facilitate from logistics to payments to financing um, to custom experience, everything in between. That's uh, the elevator pitch in 10 seconds. Yeah, I love it. Perfect. It's, it's what you coach for. Um, <laughs> and so these key skills that you've been talking about, do you think they cross over between the consulting and entrepreneurial worlds? Look, consulting is all about, in my view, there's two aspects of consulting. The first aspect is in incredibly strong analytics and incredibly strong problem solving. So you get an issue, you know how to frame this issue and say, this is the problem statement. You know how to split it into sub issues and solve these sub issues. And the second component then is once you have cracked the solution or you think you have cracked the solution, how do you wrap it all into a, a element of communication that is super strong, right? And when you take it to the entrepreneurial world, there's a lot of more, more of implementation and doing hands-on doing, but ultimately it boils down to identifying problems, tackling these problems in a very analytical and, and structured way, and then communicating them in the right way for them to get implemented. Um, and we, uh, the, I, I wouldn't say I'm a consultant now, but there's a lot of elements of problem solving coming from the consulting experience that helped me today. So I think something that our consultants could, would like to know from an entrepreneur's point of view is that when you're sort of pitching an idea or you're having a sales pitch and it's not getting across how you intend it to, the plan isn't going well, for instance, how do you handle sort of adversity and doubt? Now, again, like you are obsessed, right? You're obsessed with your idea. You're obsessed with the story that you're telling. When you see it doesn't resonate, there's two ways that I personally have always done, right? And, and, and it depends on the maturity level and the advancement of your career and your tenure. Um, I would say in my early entrepreneurial days, I would just be frustrated and I would show that I'm frustrated. You could literally read in my eyes that I think you're stupid, right? And that's, uh, that's not really nice. Um, over time, you start working with questions, right? When you're obsessed and when you're an entrepreneur and when you're used to selling your idea, you always work with assertions and statements, et cetera, right? But over time, your philosophy changes. Like for me, when I, when I have an idea that I share, let's say with an investor, I share it primarily for the reason of feedback. So I want to get feedback on the business model, feedback on the setup, feedback on the potential. Why? Because if you, if you sit with an investor that you respect, this person has probably seen hundreds of companies in one year only. So the, 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 the person can give you very, very straight feedback on what is the likelihood for this to be successfully pitched to other investors. That's the minimum you can get out. When a reputable investor tells you, I don't think I will fund it because of one, two, three, then these are probably valid reasons. So when you adopt that attitude of, wow, there was something that was not good enough about the pitch, and this is why it didn't resonate. So you, you always start looking for the mistake in this whole approach in yourself and in the business that you have and in the pitch deck that you have, et cetera, PP, rather than blaming it on the one uh, sitting on the other side of the table. And I think this is what you get to over, over time uh, when you mature a little bit more. And that's uh, incredible learning because you see then that 
your your pitch and, and becomes more of a conversation with investors. Um, and when they're excited about you as a person, they believe that you will accept their feedback. When they believe that you accept their feedback and work on their feedback, they will trust you as an entrepreneur and they're much more likely to invest in you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Manos, you need to be sitting with the right people. Yeah, yeah definitely. And then for my, so my last question for our consultants who are viewing and watching in right now, who are maybe thinking about starting a startup, what would top tips would you give them and advice? <laughs> I know it's not an All easy right, question, but maybe you, you could give. Yeah, how I mean, you have to point. You? <laughs> you have to talk to Wehida about that. Look. That's not that's out of my control. <laughs> okay, there is the first thing I would tell you, and I don't like uh, advertising for anybody here, but there's a concept of prototyping, not prototyping, prototyping that comes one level before prototyping. This whole concept is about you know, building the right it before building it right. Figure out what you want to build before you build it the right way. And I think it's worth really looking at this concept. The concept has been developed by a person that has been the key innovator at Google. And now he's a professor at Stanford. Um, And he's written a book about that. And if you go to prototyping.org, you see everything behind this concept. why? Because usually what people do is they start building prototypes and MVPs and you know, God knows what. By the time they came up with something that is an MVP only, it's not even a big project, they already spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, right? And you can avoid that by just doing this prototyping. Approach. So the first thing that I would do is if you have an idea, test it. Test it with your own data and with people that have skin in the game. So people that really are willing to pay for it and actually pay for it, even if it's a fake solution, just collect money, return it then to the people, but collect the money to see if people would adopt it actually, right? Then you know you're up to something and you can buy, you can build. So that's the number one thing. The number two thing is when you're convinced of an idea, don't be this stealth startup secretive thing unless you have really an engineering product that is like to be patented and is really revolutionizing the world. And the likelihood for doing that is minus infinity, right? So. Mm-hmm. whatever idea you come up with test it with as many people as you can because every piece of feedback is valuable right don't hide it from anybody test it if you believe that oh no then i enable cons- uh, competition or whatever then you're probably not an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur always thinks i'm the best at what i'm doing right and if you're the best at what you're doing you welcome any competitor right and i always take these examples from football i'm a football fan right? i always say if i'm a team I want to win the next game. If I win the next game, I win the league. I don't care what opponent I have. I want to win the next game. If you have this attitude, this mindset of winning the next game, you will share your idea, your tactics, your strategies with anybody, right? Um, because you know that your execution will be better than anybody else. So number one, number one advice is prototype before you prototype and build to figure out what is the right thing to build. The second thing is really be very, very confident with what you have and collect feedback on it to improve it as you go. And maybe the third thing is, and that's uh, an obvious one, but cash is king, right? Try to get as much cash as possible, as early as possible so that you can go through hard times, right? Um, Because the hard times will come, that's extremely sure. Yeah, and of course, I mean, I guess we're living in hard times right now with the pandemic. Do you think this is potentially, is this a good opportunity time to try and become an entrepreneur or is this a time of struggles, would you say? 
again, I don't think that's the right question. I think some people have no other choice than becoming entrepreneurs because they lost their jobs and there are no jobs. Mm -hmm. Very, very often I see that. So people that have thought about becoming entrepreneurs and never dared, now they dare because they have no other option. And let's hope that they thrive and they build something out of this um, that is that is outstanding and they create an income and incremental GDP wherever they are. Um, I don't believe in the concept of is this the right time or not, because I believe that whatever idea you have, it will work, right? And the, again, I like take an example of any of the innovations of the last, let's say, three, four decades, right? Was it the right time for the TV when they invented TV? No, the right time was probably 20 years earlier, um, but no one did it, right? And was it the right time for the for the Walkman? Was it the right time for the iPod? Was it There's so many things. They always came when they came. Right. So there's always time for innovation. There was always time for entrepreneurship and uh, things just came because someone was obsessed with it. Bill Gates was obsessed. Steve was obsessed and whatever the names are. Jeff Bezos was obsessed, losing so much money for years, but he was obsessed. Right. And he still is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They are passionate. They had an idea. Brilliant. Okay. well, before you go, we're going to play our end of show feature, personal page or pop where I'll start a statement or ask a question and my guest Mohammed will complete the missing part. So are you ready? I will try it. Okay. Don't blame me, please. <laughs> so Mohammed's favorite word is? Children. Mohammed's least favorite word is? Stress. Mohammed, your friends would describe you as? energy I can see that the football team that you support Bayern Munich I mean yeah I'm not sure if I agree with that but anyway um, (laughs) the biggest risk Mohammed has taken children and Mohammed's biggest regret is none confidence i love it Mohammed's biggest failure today <laughs> or every day and Mohammed's biggest success um children and if you could speak to Mohammed of 10 years old what would you tell him don't wait and would he listen no, of course not. <laughs> Brilliant, Mohammed. Well, thank you so much for coming on Konzali Tour and we wish you all the best with your future endeavours. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And there you have it, another episode of Konzali Talks in the books. Thank you all for joining me today. And if you would like to find out more about the show or even put yourself forward to come on as a guest, please head over to Konzali app and sign up to the Social Professionals Network platform for consultants. It really is the best platform out there to meet with and connect with consultants. So download and subscribe if you haven't already. I'll be back shortly with another episode of Konzali Talk. But for the time being, bye. (laughs)